Welcome back, everybody. Cool day today, Jason. We're in the middle of like a mini UFO flap. Oh, it's it's weird. It's a really weird day. This is February 12th, I think, that we're recording this episode on. So yeah, yeah it's it's weird. It's, uh, it's a weird time. Yeah, just before 2 p.m. And uh, I think there was one over Alaska on Thursday or Friday. Uh, one in Canada got shot down uh, yesterday, the day before. Last night in Montana, they closed some airspace. Uh, now China's saying they got one. Uh, I just got a report that in Michigan, they had blocked off a chunk of airspace. Now they're scrambling jets. So very rare to be able to record a show in the middle of this much UFO activity. So let's get into that. I mean, it's kind of impromptu. It's not in our notes, but we don't really script our shows anyway. Uh, and today's guest, Mindy Toddfest, uh, Dean of MUFON University. Nice to see another powerful female in ufology. And uh, two nights ago, she was on the new show of Ancient Aliens, where MUFON was featured. So we're going to ask her about that. And also, I read she's a near-death experiencer. Very cool. And perhaps that's what got her into this. We're going to find out. Uh, so we're going to roll our music. It's UFO Flap Sundays on UAP Studies Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to another episode of UAP Studies Podcast. My name is Louis Borges. Joining me as always, my good buddy, Jason Gilmet. How's it going, Louis? It's going really good. Uh, interesting day today. It sounds like we're in the middle of a little baby UFO flap. There's it... been some crazy stuff uh, in Alaska, Yukon, Montana, Michigan. Now we're hearing reports of China. So it is a rare event where we can record real time on, uh, on well-known UFO data. So we're going to talk a bit about that. Also, uh, we have a very uh, big guest today. Nice to see another uh, powerful female in this topic. We do have quite a few on our show. We are uh, we are equal opportunity podcasters as far as uh, that goes. And uh, today's guest, uh, Mindy Totfest. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Perfect. Okay, good. Uh, MUFON State Director for Oklahoma. Uh, she's also the Dean of MUFON University, which I think is very, cool. very uh, cool. As most of our viewers know, Jason is also a MUFON field investigator in Canada here. So uh, lots in common. And she's also a near-death experiencer. So we're going to find out about her life and what, uh, you know, made her interested in all this. But uh, first, a very warm welcome, Mindy, to our show. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate you guys having me on today. Yeah. So let's start a little bit about your history, uh, what got you into uh, this topic, and a little bit about your past experiences. Well, yeah, I, I I will try to keep it short because my my past history could fill up the whole hour. <laughs> and I've done that before, but we'll keep it short and I'll, I'll try to give you the the bullet points on it. Um, 2016, I had a brain aneurysm. It was a result of a um, genetic condition that I have that runs in my family. And at the time, they didn't think that I had the deadly form that caused aneurysms. And so we weren't really expecting anything like that. I'd always been, uh, you know, followed closely by doctors and everything, and they'd never picked up anything. But it was election day, 2016, uh, Hillary versus Trump. So everyone, you know, was emotions were high and everything. And so I was checking exit polls to try and see if um, anything had come out yet. And as I was sitting on the couch, I was home by myself. And then I heard the gunshot go off. And I knew then I had been an ICU nurse and I thought, well, at first I thought maybe I'd been shot because we lived out in the middle of nowhere on a farm. 
and they had been out coyote hunting. And so I thought, well, you know, I could have been shot through the wall, but I started realizing, no, that's not it. It's, it's got to be an aneurysm. Um, but I mean, I remember everything. I remember all my thoughts. The front door was open. And so I was expecting the kids to come home anytime with my husband. And they were five and seven at the time. So I was waiting for them to come in, give me hugs and kisses and everything. Tell me about their day. And I was so mad because I knew that they were going to come in and find me. And so that just ripped my heart out. I was, I was angry. Um, and I was begging God, you know, if I can survive this and I can do it without being all mangled and stuff, you know, let me, let me survive this. Uh, but I ended up crossing over. I went to a place that is commonly known as the void, uh, and being a Southern Baptist minister's wife, I had no idea that there was a void. I was expecting, you know, the tunnel and the rays of light and, you know, Jesus to come greet me and, and none of that happened. Um, I, I was begging for it to happen, but nothing happened. Instead, I was there just kind of by myself and um, reflecting on my life and kind of testing out the environment. Like I, I realized that I didn't have any hands. My first instinct was to kind of clap my hands. <laughs> and I was like, well, crap, I don't, I don't even have any form here. Um, and, and, you know, so then I, I just kind of freaked out because I was like, why am I stuck here? You know, why, why am I not getting the whole heaven scenario? Um, and eventually something showed up. There was a, a male entity that came and uh, he basically said, you're not going to be here forever. And instantly I was relieved. I thought, okay, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm <laughs> There's someone else here. Thank God. And I'm not going to be here forever. And when he did that, we kind of sailed off to the, to the left, um, which is, it's kind of hard. There's really no direction or time or anything that, I, I could feel creation around me. I could feel God around me, but I was just kind of separate from it all. Uh, that, and that's what was so soul crushing, really. Um, but anyways, we saw, sailed off to the left here. And then off in the distance, I saw like this purple glow. And as we got closer, it started taking form into what looked like a, a map of brain neurons. It's what it looked like. It was like a nebula and it was glowing pink and orange and yellow and I thought, wow, that's beautiful. And he told me, well, that's the fabric of humanity. And I said, okay. And it was just like, wow, you know, like something huge had been revealed to me. And I was like, well, I want to go towards it. And he said, no, that's not for you. <laughs> so then I, I, you know, sailed off more to the left and then bam, I was back in my body and I woke up with terrible, a terrible headache to say the least. Um, burning all through my skull and and I'd gone deaf. I have to wear hearing aids now. I lost about 90% of my hearing as oh, a wow. result of it. Yeah, wow. it um it did a number on me and it, it took a couple of years to really regain my health and my strength. And I mean, I still have some weird stuff that happens from time to time, but you know, um I'm alive and well and I'm I'm happy about it. Um and and since returning it took me a couple of years to really say anything about the near-death experience. And it was during the pandemic that I finally, um, I had gone to therapy for PTSD relating to it because every time I heard a, a loud noise or anything, I was on edge. I mean, I thought it was happening again. And um, so I did, I had to go through some therapy for it. And I was just at the point where I wanted to talk to my therapist about the near-death experience and then the pandemic shut everything down. And so I, I finally just turned to my husband and said, okay, I've got to share something with you. 
And once I did, we ended up getting a hold of IONS, uh, which is the International Association of Near-Death Studies. And I started going to like support groups. They call them sharing groups. And I got in contact with other people. And I'll tell you, it kind of was hard for me because the other people that actually had near-death experiences all went to heaven, <laughs> you know, and here I am. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go back. You know, it was awful for me. But, um, you know, most people that do have bad experiences end up having wonderful life experience afterwards. Mm -hmm. And that's really been my experience. Um, I had had one more setback where I ended up back in the hospital. And at that point, we were you know, looking into funeral arrangements for me. We didn't know if I would really be able to pull through. And this was after a couple of years um, that I was still struggling and ended up back in the hospital. So as a result of that, my husband said, well, let's go to Roswell, um, something I'd always wanted to do. And so, you know, he planned it out. We loaded up the kids and it was kind of a solemn trip. Um, went out there and they were having the big festival and we had a great time. Um, and I ended up meeting Kathleen Martin when I was there. And of course she formed the experience or resource team for MUFON. And she must've thought I was nuts. <laughs> I was like, well, how did you do it? You know, how did you become the spokesman for your family? You know, and I'm asking these weird questions because things still weren't like connecting in my brain. Um, and so I, I don't know, I don't know what her perception of me was, but she must've thought I was off, <laughs> which I probably was at the time. Um, but she inspired me. I mean, I had always wanted to be an expert in ufology. I had studied it since I was a kid. I was the kid riding my bike to the bookmobile and checking out everything on cryptids and UFOs and ghosts and everything that I could get my hands on. And to actually have the, the opportunity to do that through MUFON was just amazing. And initially we had just looked into maybe going to meetings. So I had contacted the MUFON headquarters and said, hey, um, you know, are there meetings in Oklahoma that I can go to? And at the time, our director of investigations was Doug Wilson. And he said, well, there's not meetings, but we need people um, if you want to be an investigator. And I was like, really, I can I can do that. I, I don't know if I have the health to do it right now. And he's like, well, most of it's online. Most of it's over the telephone. Yeah, we'll start you off with what, what you can handle. And I was like, OK, let, let's do it. And I'll tell you, it gave me a whole new meaning to life. Uh, it, it revitalized me and I, I was living my dream. And within a year, I was promoted to state director. And then um, now into uh, MUFON University and the stuff we're doing there. Yeah, That's talk crazy. about that a little bit, because we've had lots of people from MUFON on our show. But it was a first for me while researching you to learn about a MUFON University. And I like the fact that there's that amount of effort put into it to literally train people to be the best investigator they can. It's not like a fly by night, just wing it, you know, like Jason's mentioned on previous episodes to be an investigator. There's an exam. You have to study. You have to have your wits about you. It can't just be anybody to do this kind of thing. But I like the fact that there's that level of we take it seriously. Let's train people. So maybe talk a little bit about MUFON University. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I can't take credit for MUFON University. It was actually a um, the baby of Ken St. John, who I believe he was the chief financial officer before I had come on. He left right about the time that I came in, but he had kind of 
had the idea, let's put together a MUFON University where we can train people and kind of get them on the same footing starting off. And whenever I came on and went through the whole field investigator process and took the exam and then went through the training at MUFON University, it was so clunky. I, I went through it and I was like, man, is this really, you know, what MUFON has, you know, the great MUFON? And it, I was kind of disappointed. I mean, it had really good information, but it needed updating. And so it was kind of a gripe of mine for a while. And then um, last year I, I did a podcast and our director of memberships, Terry Ling Kill, was listening and she ended up calling me and she's like, this guy keeps talking over you. <laughs> you know, just, just tell me about your experience. And so we ended up talking for about six hours that night. She and I did. And our poor husbands were starving in the other room and we're like, just go ahead. <laughs> Have a <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> so we, um, as we were discussing things, I brought up MUFON University and I said, you know, have we looked at ever updating that because Doug Wilson was just leaving and, and Steve Hudgens was coming on as director of investigations and MUFON University was just sitting there. Doug Wilson used to do some little trainings with people with new investigators and you do like three nights of training. And it was mainly just an introduction to CMS, our case management system, where all of the um, cases are stored. And that wasn't happening now with, during the transition. So I said, well, can we record something like that and put it up on, on MUFON University? And she said, absolutely. She had been trying to do this for years, and so she said, let's do it. So she took it to Dave McDonald, and I'm telling you, I'm a huge fan of Dave McDonald. The man has turned MUFON around 100%, and he has given us everything that we have needed um, with updating and really bringing us up to current times. Um, and I'll, I'll get into even more of that, the the great things he's been doing for MUFON. But um, she got a hold of him, and he said, yeah, absolutely, go for it. So we dove in and we had a small team of us um, that would meet every Monday and we'd kind of go over curriculum, what all's in MUFON University. And we got a whole new platform that we're transferring everything over to. We reviewed the exam. Um, we updated the forms that we use for our investigations to include things that we can access now. So, um, the flight radar logs, we're able, we're, you know, putting in a, a field for that where we can put that report in there. Um, astronomical bodies that were in the air at the time, we have a field for that now. Um, satellites, we need to go, you know, track down what satellites are in the air. There'll be a field for that. Um, and then we kind of cover things with them in MUFON University as far as on-site investigations and witness interview, uh, and just some of the different things that they'll come across. Photo and video analysis is one of the big ones. Um, most people come in and they don't have any kind of experience analyzing photos and videos. And so every little lens flare is something that's really interesting until you see a hundred of them. And so um, that's something that we're hoping to train people as soon as they come in. We have all these years and years and years of combined knowledge that we can give to people right from the start. And it's just going to launch us to a whole new level whenever people coming in have that kind of information 
and then they get to build on it, I can only imagine what the next generation of ufologists are going to be able to do building off of what we're doing now. Absolutely. And even the point uh, in MUFON, it's we try to identify what it is. And that really is our, our main mission is like, I will tell you what it is. And it's when we can't tell you what it is and remains an, un, an unknown, that's when it's really interesting. But, you know, a lot of people hope that when they submit a video and they say, you know, I was communicating telepathically with this object and it turns out it was a satellite you can actually have the satellite number and everything now right on on these apps even right. on your phone apps you can find out what satellite they were looking at and they don't like hearing that uh, response at all have you had that with some of your cases where people just like do not agree with with what you came up with because they had their heart set on that they had an experience and you're just not seeing it right and that's that's a problem yeah. that we have within the organization is people assume that we're just going to believe everything and our job is to prove that something wasn't. So yeah. Do you have any uh, cases that have happened like that where somebody's just been mad at you because you've found out what it was? <laughs> not, not really mad at me. Um, I, I try to be, you know, very open with people. And I, I think that in doing it the way that we're doing it now, where we do our due diligence and we go in and we're looking at all these different aspects and we're able to recreate everything that was in the sky at the time of their sighting. When we do our due diligence, then they say, okay, you know, I can see your point. I may not agree with it, but I, I can see where you're getting this information and why you're drawing that conclusion. And I, I think that people are starting to understand that we aren't out to just debunk things. We're not here to validate things either. We're here to look for the truth. Yeah. And when we include things that are not truly anomalous, it waters down our data and we're getting wrong information. So if we have um, a cluster of sightings over here in northeastern Oklahoma, and then um, you know we get a report from off in California that kind of contradicts it or whatever, but that's not really a true UAP, we're getting wrong information. You know, it, if things aren't um, lining up, then it, it's it's harming our field. Um, it, it does us better to be able to rule out what we can so we can focus on the truly anomalous and understand the capabilities of them and the uh, patterns that can emerge from it. So like right now, um, October, November here in Oklahoma and into Missouri, uh, we were having kind of a mini flap going on here. Uh, we're airline pilots. There was a Delta pilot crew that was flying over Oklahoma going into Missouri. And I think it was in October that they had their sighting. And then we had several here in Oklahoma that were reported about the same time. And then Missouri also did, um, where they had a pilot that had reported stuff as well. And it was interesting because several of them were reporting seeing a bright white light with red and green flashing which you would think a normal aircraft, but right. these were from trained pilots that were seeing this. Um, and whenever we went in and did the research, there weren't any marked, you know, transponding planes in the area. Um, and to, to see that over and over and over, that's something that we saw in the 60s that was reported here in Oklahoma as well. It was the stationary white lights with the red and green flashing. And so we're seeing that kind of repeated again here in 2022, you know, mm. that that it's still the same kind of um, crap that we're seeing reported here. 
Well, in the last couple of months, there's been lots of talk of Enigma Labs, which is basically a group that's petitioning the public to send us their reports, but they're kind of hiding behind a veil of anonymity, sort of cryptic writing on their site. Essentially, from what most people are gathering is they've come up with an algorithmic spreadsheet to rank cases. And some people have said, well, if you're going to assign a higher priority to a CE4 over a CE1, you're going to throw out a lot of good data because just because that's the only report doesn't make it any less anomalous. So my question for you is kind of twofold. One, have you heard anything about MUFON collaborating? And the reason I say that is because a lot of people uh, we've heard are throwing stones at MUFON saying, you know, people gave you reports in, in confidence and now you're going to work with the government and share it with Enigma. So I think there's a lot of bad info floating around. I don't know myself personally one way or the other. So again, twofold. Do you know anything if Enigma and MUFON are working? And also is MUFON going to be working with this Aero office as referenced in the last congressional UAP report? What are your thoughts on that? Right. That, that's a bunch of loaded questions there. <laughs> so, well, we got time, so I figured I'd get it all out now. <laughs> okay, let's start off with um, the Enigma Labs. I am not really familiar with what they're doing. Um, I've heard about them. I know that they just made some kind of deal with the government that um, I guess that that had come out. That was the first time I really had heard of them. And I'm really, I, I mean, I went on to their website and looked and it's actually pretty nice. <laughs> But yeah. um, I, I I don't know anything about their protocol or anything, but I think that probably they'll find like we have that in researching and speaking with people that have made these reports, you cannot throw off, you know, or throw out the first, you know, the category one cases, the light in the sky cases, because sometimes people are very hesitant to open up about what really happened yeah. um one of the light in the sky cases that we had recently which was one of part of the flap that i was just mentioning the guy was walking his dog and you know that that's all it was i was out walking my dog and i saw this white light and it was flashing red and green okay well then we get in and get to talking with him it affected his dog his dog wasn't able to walk after this thing flew by him um, and it was very ill that whole night. And it finally started recovering over the, the evening and throughout the night. Um, and he actually went back the next night trying to see if it was maybe a star or something. So he, he really approached it rationally and was trying to, you know, rule out anything that he could. Um, and so in, in talking with him, more information comes to light. And I can't tell you how many times that's happened where it seems like a very surface level kind of report. And then someone says, well, then later I was visited by these shadow beings, or I woke up in the night and my bedroom was flooded with light and I didn't feel comfortable putting that in the report. Okay, you know, um, so that category one case can very quickly turn into a category three just in speaking with people. And, you know, in the course of a, an hour long interview with someone, you start realizing just the multitude of, of, encounters they've really had and a pattern starts emerging within these different experiencers so you know like i said i, I think that they'll probably find that as well uh once you get the boots on the ground you start getting out there and actually talking with people it changes things very quickly um let's see what else did you bring up the yeah the arrow office arrow is supposed to be you know consulting with a lot of other organizations you'd think mufon would be on that list because they're mufon and i mean they, they probably have more <laughs> report cases than uh, anywhere else. So have you heard anything that there's going to be MUFON collaborating with the government, so to speak? 
Well, yeah. Um, I don't know anything about collaborating with Enigma Labs. Um, and of course, I'll tell you, people don't tell me things because I'm very excited about this. <laughs> so, um, and I, I tell them, don't tell me anything because I, I don't know if I could keep my mouth shut. Um, so I, I really come from a place of just, this is my observation as far as what's been released. But I, I think that they are moving very, very much towards that. I know that they have been out there speaking with our congressmen, and it's been very well received. We're seeing um, cooperation on both sides of the aisle that Republicans and Democrats alike are very excited about this. They want to get to the root of it. And I think that it's a whole different atmosphere that we're seeing now than opposed to when they were doing Blue Book and everything. Yeah. Um, they did such a darn good job back whenever you know project grudge was around and they were trying to discredit ufos now they're trying to undo it all these years later you know they're like yeah. no really there's something in the sky now you know there's something that we can't identify that that's happening um and so they're they're trying to get that word out now and kind of change that narrative where it can be much more of an open dialogue and not the ridicule that's been traditionally attached to it but i think that um that we are in a position now to collaborate with them where we can bring years and years of experience together with the funding that the government has and the capabilities that they have. I mean, let's face it, MUFON is a nonprofit. We do not have, you know, access to satellites, and, you know, all of the, the, you know, high dollar things that our government has. And I think that we have an opportunity here to really get closer to answering the questions that we've had for all of these years. I think it's our best shot. And I think that we have to approach it in good faith um, and hope that our government is doing so as well. Um, I think that there's probably factions within the government. Some are wanting to keep things more secret. I think some are wanting it to come to light. And we know that some are wanting it to come to light. We've seen Rubio and other, you know, come forward and saying, we need to know about this. The American people deserve to know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that's what we're heading towards. That's what we're trying to get with any kind of collaboration. Uh, and I know that that they've been in constant talks with the government um, and things have been going well. That That's as far as I know. Um, and that's kind of what Dave's put out in the, the MUFON journal. And, you know, I'm hoping to hear good news soon. I would look forward to it. And I'll tell you, I'm not approaching it from a, a place of ignorance. One of the first things I did whenever they brought that up um, that, you know, that we might be trying to, to partner with the government in researching, um, I looked back to see what happened with the Bigelow agreement because I thought, okay, well, maybe this will echo that. One of the first criticisms I heard from people was, you know, it now people are not going to have a place to go that's safe if MUFON teams up with the government. And that's a very real concern. Um, and I was concerned about it too. What happened with the Bigelow agreement was MUFON put a, a thing on their website whenever people went to report a UFO and they could opt out of sharing it with third parties. And so I'm, I wonder if that is what we will be doing, if there is any kind of an agreement where people can opt out of, hey, I, I just want to, to stay with MUFON or it's okay to go ahead and share this. Um, I don't know if that's how it will go, but that gave me confidence and um, insecurity in that knowing that people will 
be protected or they they were protected before through the Bigelow Agreement. Um, and so people that did not want it shared, it it was not shared with, with anybody outside of MUFON. Right, which was one of the main concerns because MUFON, a lot of people have heard of it, but a lot of people have not heard of it. They're just, oh, actually, you know, just found out about it through this podcast or because it was recently mentioned in the news. So we haven't really established that trust yet to say, hey, we're working along with the government. Well, who's MUFON? And people look into it. Maybe there's, yeah, you're right. They might be trust issues there because nobody really trusts the government and the government's sudden interest in these things uh, as of late has been, you know, sort of dubious at best. I mean, we don't know what they're up to and why, why they care all of a sudden. Um, okay. Speaking of which, uh, we have to address this because it is February 12th as we're recording this. There is a flap that's going on uh, right now. There's been five incidences with UFOs or uh, UAPs in North America and now China as well. With, so let's talk a little bit about this little flap that we're having because some people are going to be wondering about about this. Louie, I'm going to pick your brain first. Uh, what, what do you think is going on? Like it's sort of strange times now. Yeah, so we'll summarize best we can. Again, this is 2 p.m. Pacific time right now, and this is cool. We're actually in the middle of a mini flap. This has never happened uh, that I can remember, not, at least not with multiple reporting. So very cool. Apparently Thursday, um, and again, a week or two ago, we had this Chinese balloon that made worldwide news. So on Thursday, uh, a, a UAP was reported uh, in Alaska and apparently was shot down. Now, apparently it was shot down on frozen waters. Uh, there is debris. Initial results are even though they're collecting debris, they don't know what it's from. Maybe falling from that height, it blew up. Who knows? So that's ongoing. So that was Thursday, Friday uh, in the Yukon, Canada, which also borders near Alaska. Um, there was a joint effort between Canadian and American forces to shoot down another UAP. Uh, I believe the Americans did shoot it, but C Canada and America has a NATO agreement. NORAD is also in the northern part of uh, North America. So uh, the Americans did the gunning. But uh, so that was number two. Number three, I believe, was last night. Uh, Montana closed a certain part of their airspace due to anomalous phenomena. And I believe that area is also close to bases and reported underground things, missile silos, who knows. Uh, and then this afternoon now, there was a report that um, Michigan over a lake closed their airspace and the subsequent report said that they are now scrambling jets. Uh, and then China reported one as well. So five incidences in the last three or four days. Um, yeah, let's get everybody's thoughts on that. What do you think, Mindy? Have you been following this? Uh, well, of course I have, <laughs> but I'll tell you, I, I think one of the interesting things about the reporting on it is that we're seeing the terminology UFO yeah. instead of UAP when they're talking about this. Or weather so, balloon for that matter. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that they're using that terminology in the media as opposed to UAP. Um, and I really don't have any conclusions about what it is. I, You know, everybody else is wondering what it is and they're asking me and I'm saying, I don't know. You know, I'm waiting to see, you know, what they they come out with. I've heard different things. Uh, the one over Alaska supposedly didn't have any propulsion, any means of propulsion on it. And yeah. uh, one of the, the jet pilots had said that it interfered with his instrumentation some. Um, so, I mean, obviously there's something going on there. Then the one that was shot down, the was it the balloon that was shot down over um, the coast of North Carolina, South Carolina? They're yeah. still recovering bits of it. Uh, and, you know, we're not hearing much about kind of its construction or if it's anything like the others. I think that this is really 
um, pointing to the importance of the formation of Arrow and the ability to share that kind of information between the, the departments within the government with tracking anomalous things in the skies. And I think that even it shows why MUFON would be an important part of that, because if we're having civilians on the ground reporting lots and lots of things, you know, in one area, then it's kind of sending up those red flags where the government can go in, check with the different departments and say, okay, we've got a lot of civilians reporting something over here in Alaska. We need to see what's going on. You know, um, it, it is a matter of national security. I don't know if this is alien. I don't know if it's from China. You know, I, I don't know. But uh, it's something that we need to be aware of and we need to be able to track. And um, I think that Arrow is a very good office to be able to to do that. Interesting choice of language, too. Like the weather, but the balloon was a balloon. It's always been called a balloon. And the thing I don't understand is how do they know it was a Chinese balloon on the first report like that? But anyway, that's we can get down that rabbit hole of conspiracy theories and all the rest. But that's clearly a balloon. The others have been called UFOs. Uh, one of the reports back, I think it was ABC News. They had said that it was cylindrical. So we're not talking a balloon if it is a cylinder. And then you hear the report of 40,000 feet, but no visual sign of propulsion. I'm thinking like five, you know, the five observables where there's no control surfaces, no heat. They just seem to be cruising at 40,000 feet with nothing as an engine, no uh, no uh, heat signature on, on that type of radar. And then malfunctioning with people's you know equipment. Um, yeah, and uh, it, it's interesting that they use the more stigmatic term like UFO versus UAP. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, my personal opinion, I think this points to man-made. I don't think we can actually shoot down real UFOs just <laughs> due to technological amazement you know like we're not even close um but yeah if it was really they wanted to keep it secret they would it wouldn't be in all the news so is this a controlled disclosure is this kind of like a false flag event you know there was somebody who commented on that a month ago that there's a false flag event coming in a month's time and now all this so i find it very coincidental um what do you think jay you've been pretty quiet over there i can see you're thinking what do you think oh, i'm always thinking uh i think it's a play usually the media and especially the government is very particular on their choice of words uh even the blue tie you know you're the one who mentioned that to me uh, louis the blue conveys trust yeah and you know people can trust you more if you're wearing blue a blue suit blue tie right yeah. uh, that's exactly what that um, spokesman for the white house was wearing a nice blue tie Breaking in the story was shot, you know, a UAP or UFO above Alaska. Don't worry about it, but you should know, right? Something's going on. I, I don't know. It's the perfect, you know, I think storm of the fact that you also have us on edge thinking it's China, China's ability to spy on us. Maybe they have weather balloons everywhere. But then China's going, hey, we got him too. Um, you know, we got to clear out an area like earlier today. Who knows if they shot it down or not, but they did clear an area. They did send out a warning. Uh, they're experiencing it as much as the United States. And I doubt that the United States would allow crafts to come that close to the military installations. And especially if they're keeping nukes or any warheads, you know, around that vicinity and, and say no, no, no fly zones, you know, something's there that, that to me is not China. There's no way you could go halfway through a country 
and just settle there and watch their operations at close range. That's just let's face it. That's and not, not with a balloon. Not not with, no, with a camera on <laughs> a screen. You're doing what you were doing. We're just watching. <laughs> yeah. Like give them a little yeah. more credit than that. If they're going to spy, they know how to spy by now. We yeah. do. The Russians do. Chinese do. Pretty sure that's what all the satellites are for. I, I can't see them being like, yeah, let's just see if they'll catch a balloon with a pencil attached to it. It, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And if you got like the official, was it the the, the governor or the senator of, of, of uh, I want to say Montana, much of it was Montana, the one with the uh, recent sighting. Anyways, yeah. you're saying, yeah, there's something there. Like it may be nothing or it may be something. It's like, wow, that's really freaking vague. Like it <laughs> yeah. could be something or it could be nothing. Well, what if it is something like that's, that's breaking news, yeah. you know, Was like there something in controlled airspace or not. Yeah. Let's just clarify that. Yeah. You know? And he pretty much said there was that there was no, there's just, but it could be nothing, you know, like, I hate when they say that it could be nothing. Like it's not some kid playing around with a drone. I mean, this is a craft at 40,000 feet. Yeah. Yeah, or directly above their their yeah. installation. So I mean, we, we keep hearing about that. Like it could be, you know, Russians. I don't think so. You know, the logistics of getting a craft to that specific location in the middle of a country is a nightmare. Much less like being visible to the rest of the crew on the ground. So yeah, something's going on. I'm not quite yeah, sure. That, that's a good point. That's the point of spying: not to get caught. Get the yeah. info. Get the hell out. <laughs> Nobody knows you were there. I'm pretty sure that's what the CIA yeah. has been working on forever. But yeah. Anyway, we digress. We want to get back to Mufon again because on Friday, Mufon was featured on the new episode of Ancient Aliens, and Mindy was on there among some other brilliant minds and contributors. So uh, for those people listening in Canada, it did not air. I think there's a delay in the network, or perhaps it's going to come out a later date. But uh, it did air in the States. And uh, Mindy, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about that episode and what was discussed. Yeah, it it turned out so good. I'm, I'm so proud of them and, and the episode that they were able to put together at Ancient Aliens. They were wonderful to work with. Um, I'll tell you, when they flew me out, they just made me feel like family and, and just took me in and, and guided me through the whole thing. And uh, I couldn't speak any more highly of, of their whole crew. And so the the episode was basically i was told and i heard that earl gray was told this as well that it was ancient ancient aliens love letter to move on and it, it really came across that way uh they just kind of gave everybody a, an introduction to what MUFON is and kind of our history. And they had me on there speaking about uh, the Miracle Mountain schoolyard encounter that happened here in Oklahoma and was the number one case of the year this last year. And I got to present that at the symposium. And they had Earl Gray on there speaking about his personal encounter that he had following becoming a field investigator with MUFON. And uh, I think that was the first time he's ever shared that publicly. And so I, I was proud of him for being able to come forward and share that. I know he was kind of nervous, but he did such a wonderful job. And um, Kathleen Martin made an appearance on there in support of him. I know that he and her are very close and and he was really hoping that she'd be able to make it on there. And so it was kind of a surprise to him. So that was kind of neat. Um, let's see, they showed the boot camp that takes part uh, takes place out in, in Arizona every year. And um, I told them that they can probably expect it to be overflowing next year because <laughs> there's like a, a limited number of, of spots. I think it's like 40 or 50 that they allow 
And so I'm sure that people are going to be fighting for spots there next year because they they do an amazing job. Everything I've seen of it, um, I've seen Stacy Wright, the state director there, speak about some of the things that they do at the boot camp. And um, I kind of want to go myself. <laughs> so um, they highlighted that. They highlighted, um, let's see, Jeremy Ray was supposed to be on there, um, but I guess he's going to be on a, a later episode. So um I know I'm leaving something out, but uh, it was just, it was an incredible episode and I've already watched it twice. <laughs> so and you nice. said that MUFON lines are blowing up now. You guys are getting case reports hand over fist. Yeah. Um, I, Earl had said that I think there were 13 reports from experiencers that rolled in just while the, the episode was airing. I woke up the next day. I, my phone started ringing at 6 a.m. I had over 300 friend requests in my personal Facebook yeah. Uh, and wow. uh, my emails was just blowed up. I mean, <laughs> there was 50, 60 emails. We've got probably 10 different reports here in Oklahoma, which is, you know, a huge increase for just one night. Normally we get um, about 100 cases a year. So to have 10 cases in one night, that's that's a huge increase. Um, and people reaching out. I'll tell you one of my favorite things that's happened as a result of it is I'm hearing from people from the Hartshorn area that grew up there that is where the Miracle Mountains encounter took place, which was this big schoolyard encounter back in the 70s um, that I was lucky enough to be able to, to investigate this last year. And there is some weird stuff around Hartshorn <laughs> and a lot of it got cut from the episode. Uh, and I, I know that some of the producers were wanting to maybe try to make it its own episode because there was there's so much to this case that, I mean, it took me nearly a year to investigate it. And I could still spend another 10 years investigating it and not have all the information. There were um, nearly 20, 20 witnesses to it. Uh, and they were all kids except for two adults that were there. And they saw a, a craft come in. It kind of hovered over the area where the, it was a boarding school. So they all lived there. It kind of hovered over the area um, and it came closer to them and they saw the underbelly of it and um, just saw it rotating with lights rotating around it. And it kind of made a whoosh noise and took off. And and this took place over a couple of hours that that this whole thing transpired. The teacher that was there, she went on to become a doctor and she has wanted to remain anonymous to the public, um, but she had actually told Ancient Aliens, go ahead and, and share my information now, you know, it's out there. Um, but so I'll at least say that she's a doctor now. She's a well-respected person. And, and she was the one that really kind of filled in the gaps with this whole encounter. Um it went on through the night. The oldest boy was standing guard with the shotgun. They were boarding up windows and doors. They had scared kids. They were pulling out from under beds. They were huddled around the um, fireplace in the living room, and they were seeing entities out the window that they said just kept changing. So I guess kind of shape-shifting kind of entities out there. Um, and it, it went on throughout the night that that they stayed terrified. The kids don't remember that. The kids remember going in and just having a normal evening after seeing this UFO so close to them, you know, within 60 feet over them. <laughs> and, yeah. and then they were like, oh, we just went in and went to bed, you know. But that that's their reality. That's their memory of it. Whereas the teacher said, no, there was a lot more. And they actually packed up sack lunches that next day and 
took a trip up to um, the sawmill where they had saw it take off and, and kind of settle over in that area. And so they went up there to kind of see if they could find any remnants of it, you know, or any, any evidence of it being there. And uh, they weren't able to locate anything, but, um, but they, nonetheless, they had taken a field trip up there to look for the UFO <laughs> and came back. Um, and they discovered that the meat locker that was outside had been emptied of all of the beef. And the teacher said that it had like two sides of beef in there. And um, some of the older kids remember that, that the meat had gone missing within a day or so it was returned. So there was two sides of processed beef that just went completely missing. There was cattle there at the, at the boarding school, cattle were left untouched, but the processed beef was missing. Um, and I went on, I, I spoke about this at the public library here in Oklahoma, and it was kind of a, a, it was called Paranormal Fest, and they had Bigfooters there, and they had me there talking about UFOs, and they had the Paranormal Team, and um, after I got up and spoke about this, some of the Bigfooters came up to me, and they said, hey, um, do you know Honubi? And Honubi is a small town in southeastern Oklahoma. It's maybe an hour or so, I would say, from from um, Hartshorn, where the, the Miracle Mountains was. Um, but there was a whole siege of Honubi that had Bigfoot. And it the main thing that, that kicked it off was a meat locker got emptied of deer meat um, throughout the night. It, there was meat getting stolen out of the outdoor freezer. And so um, it kind of unfolded the same way where they were standing guard with, with guns and everything. And of course they attributed that to Bigfoot, but that whole area over there around Hartshorn is just, it's weird. I mean, we have ghost lights over there. We have um, Bigfoot sightings. We have the UFO sightings. Um, there's there's um, magazine or not magazine, uh, newspaper articles there's one in particular from like the 60s where it actually mentions Bigfoot and UFOs, where it says the UFO was looking for Bigfoot. And so there's a long history from the 60s on, um, e even up to today, that things are still transpiring. The Bigfooters have seen these glowing orange orbs hovering over the, the treetops in that area while they were out there looking for Bigfoot. And I've heard this from several of these people um, in, in different instances. We have one case on on file at MUFON from a Bigfooter that saw one of these orange orbs hovering over there. Um, hmm. So anyways, to wrap it up, <laughs> I've heard from a lot of people in that area that grew up there and they're now reporting some of their sightings from Hartshorn. So I'm, I'm excited to get in and get them interviewed and get that on file and kind of connect that with the schoolyard encounter because something was going on in the 60s and 70s in that area. Um, there was a, a flap going on over Oklahoma at that time anyway, but specifically here around Hartshorn, they had a, a um, measured spike of 500 clicks uh, of radiation in that area right after a UFO sighting. And there was a guy here in Oklahoma, his name was um, Hayden Hughes, and he ran the UFO Bureau, and he formed that back in the 1950s. It was before MUFON. Um, and he was just a, a teenager at the time, but he had written to Russia and got a response from them about what they thought about UFOs. And he started investigating stuff. And I think it's interesting that he was led to Hartshorn as well. And so, you know, within a couple of years here, I'm led to Hartshorn. Him, after years and years of investigating, he's led to Hartshorn. There's something going on in that area. 
Um, and this guy Walker Ranch of Oklahoma, pretty much. I, that's why I'm, I'm I'm beginning to believe. That's why I'm so excited to be hearing from these people and to get their stories, you know, recorded so that we can get a better idea of what was taking place in that area and what is continuing to take place in that area because something's going on out there. I don't know what they're drawn to, but so, well, something's it, happening. It's funny because you're mentioning about the school and there's so many incidences in the past of UFOs in schools. And sometimes it's some sort of, you know, even the Zimbabwe case when, you know, these entities spoke to a bunch of kids all at once, different messages to each one of the kids, but all from the same entity. Uh, so hearing these cases, you're like, okay, so obviously they're interested in, in where the kids are at for whatever reason. Uh, the other one is Bigfoot. Uh, you mentioned Bigfoot for, I was so adamant before that I did not believe in Bigfoot and I did not want Bigfoot to be related to UAPs at all. And the more that Louie and I, I are, you. yeah, I told you they were yeah. related to UFOs. The more and I, Louie and I are digging into it, the more it seems that they are related, that there's some sort of correlation between the two, like where one is seen, the other is also seen and, you know, or strange lights, orbs and stuff like that, where Bigfoot is reported to be. I hate to admit it, but it looks like there's something there that we have to look into. There's some sort of correlation, you know, the two are linked somehow, but it seems like it's linked to everything as well. Like you were mentioning your consciousness in your near death experience. Um, your consciousness was, was it the same from, you know, when you knew you were in your body and something was wrong to when you say you were out of your body, was that like a seamless flow of consciousness to you or was there a fading yeah. in and out? No, there was, there was no lapse. I was in my body and I was out and I have full memory from that whole transition. Um, I, I kind of had closed my eyes and then the next thing I knew I was in darkness and I'm like, what the heck? Cause I was so upset. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I was angry. Right. I, I'm not even going to lie. I was angry at the time. And I was so absorbed in my own emotion at the time. I didn't even realize where I was until I started looking around. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not even like on earth anymore. You know? <laughs> and so like there was no lapse. I had a steady stream of, of thoughts the whole time. But when I was over there, it was just completely unboxed because there was like no containment within my body. I was just my emotions. I was just my thoughts. I was just my consciousness. Um, and I'm, I'm actually wrapping up. I was hoping to have it done this weekend. I'm wrapping up my book on the subject and it goes all into detail of everything I, I um, encountered over there and just kind of my thoughts on it. Because whenever I came back, I really kind of struggled with kind of reintegrating into reality it took a couple of years and um i know there's there's a thing called derealization and that can happen after trauma but it it and i i think i did have some derealization but i also knew that there was another reality that was so much bigger and so much more real than this and so i i really kind of struggled to reintegrate here because nothing seemed real <laughs> You know, um, because I, I know that there's so much more. Um, and so I, I got really into researching simulation theory and consciousness and um, kind of looking at, at things from that perspective. I got into looking at the gateway process, which the government had done back in the 70s uh, and 80s, I actually, um, with Colonel McDon McDonald, was it? Um, where he looked into 
psychic spying and stuff they were trying to go into astral you know realms and and get information from entities there and i mean that that's exactly what i did i went into another realm and got information from entities there um where he showed me different things around there so um it, it's all interrelated and you know it all relates back to ufos it all relates back to the paranormal and I, I know MUFON takes the the strong stance, you know, they're very nuts and bolts within the investigation of UAP. Um, but there are so many different minds within MUFON. And so there's all always varying opinions. And I think that it's good to have both sides. So we have the nuts and bolts guys. I couldn't tell you much about propulsion systems. You know, I know a little bit, <laughs> but... You know, I, I bless the men that that do know and the women that know about propulsion systems. Me, I'm more on the consciousness side of things. But I think that when we bring everybody together and we can have these conversations, things start lining up. You know, um, I saw I made a, a connection with a gentleman on LinkedIn this last week, and he had some way of putting my consciousness stuff into a, you know, like formula. <laughs> and I I was sitting and reading this going, oh my gosh, what he says makes complete sense. And he's putting it into, you know, scientific terms that I may not have had the words for, but it makes perfect sense. And he's saying the same thing I am from a whole different perspective. And, and I think it's incredible to get these different minds together and really kind of bounce off from different perspectives. That's how we're going to come up with new breakthroughs in, in this area. Yeah. And it's such a vast area too, just a study of the phenomenon and you know it's it's heavy i i was going to mention this with mufon when i received the book uh you know to start studying for the exam i was a little disappointed at how thin it was because i think it should have been a volume that is a you know worthy of a university so you should be able to kill a man with the book all right because of the <laughs> amount of uh information that is needed uh to cover this subject i mean it, it did very well touching on a few you know this is how you should approach this and that but I always thought it should be bigger than that. It, this should be a course that somebody, you know, has to take because there's not, you know, once you open up one door, that door opens up three doors and each one of those doors opens up more doors. And, you know, three years in, we, we got more questions than we have answers at this point. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it just keeps going forward. And uh, have you heard anything of if, if MUFON's planning on updating the book at all, the manual, or is that... Because we're sort of working on all the other aspects, the CMS and all that's being updated. But just wondering about the the book, are we updating that at all, or not that I know of? No? <laughs> um, it has been a good guide for years and years and years, and so don't fix it if it isn't broken, kind of thing. Right. Um, and there might be changes, you know, um, I know looking through it, like there's some long chains of, of URLs and stuff. And I'm like, you don't put that in print. <laughs> you yeah. know? So there's things that, that need to be updated in it, but it, it's going to be a process right now. It, it is good as it is, but in MUFON university, we're trying to bring in some of these other aspects. I know ERT just put together a fantastic training for their people that I've got to break up and, and get added into it. Um, and we're hoping to get it launched sometime this year, but we're waiting on the forms to get integrated into CMS so that we can continue with doing the video walkthroughs. Um, 
but I mean, there are so much, there's so much going on in the background of MUFON right now. That's what I was saying about Dave. He has just opened the door to so many things. We've got MUFON University that's being updated. We just launched the, the map app. Have you had a chance to look at that? Not yet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It, I opened it today. It's number one in top downloads in the play store today. Um, yes. And I I don't know if the gentleman wants me to release his name, but the guy that, that built it is incredible. And he has been working on all kinds of things in the background for MUFON. Um, we're working on, um, getting some watermarks to put on videos and stuff. There was, there was a problem of people taking videos and then trying to attribute it to different things. And, and we're not about that. So, um, you know, we want the truth to follow these videos and, the people that submit them should be able to tell their stories and not have some kind of fictional thing attached to it. So we're, we're fixing that. Um, you know, what else? Um, there is the, uh, observer network that they launched. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to go on there. It's like the forums of old where people can get on there and, you know, share their different ideas and it's all just about UFOs. Uh, so they, they're launching all kinds of different things right now. And there's a lot of moving parts, you know, uh, so maybe eventually the, the manual will get an update as well, but man, we're, we're working on stuff and yeah. it, it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be part of MUFON. Yeah. And maybe it'll be a digital manual at that point. Just something that we can all have on the phones, you know, even there recordings. Is. Yeah. See, I'm not, I wasn't even aware of this. Nobody tells well, me Well, you've been anything. an investigator for a while. It's not like you just got the book yesterday. So maybe they have updated since you joined. Yeah, Somewhat. most likely. Let's just put it that way. But also, they don't tell me anything. They just don't tell me anything. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's awesome. Uh, Mindy, I, I I think, you know, talking with you, it motivates me to be a better investigator. I have not investigated anything in a while. They did send me a case not that long ago, and I haven't even looked at it. I've been so bad, uh, but, you know, preoccupied with work and the podcast, so I haven't had much time. But I do, you know, speaking with somebody like yourself, it does motivate me to get back into it and, and, and keep investigating it as best as I can on this. Uh, Louis, do you have any final questions for our guest today? Yeah, Mindy, tell everybody where they can learn more about you, follow you, uh, maybe the name of your book, if you've got a title. Sure. The title of the book is going to be Dying to Meet Them, One Woman's Incredible Journey from NDE to UAP. And it will be coming out through Unex Media, who you're part of now. Nice. Yeah. Our yeah, Margie, Margie will be doing it. Um, yeah. And so I'm I'm hoping to send it, the completed book over her this week. And then I will be speaking about it at the Unex conference. I don't know if you guys will be there in Missouri in October. Uh, if people want to get a hold of me, they can contact me through um, Oklahoma MUFON Facebook page. It's just Oklahoma MUFON Mutual UFO Network um, or through the national website. You can find my um, my email address there, mindy.mufonok at gmail or um, yeah, I think that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Very good. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show. And again, you mentioned the NX Network. Uh, that is a new home for UAP studies. In fact, today is our first uh, episode. So we air every Sundays at 8 p.m., uh, 11 Pacific. And of course, we have our YouTube page, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. Please like and uh, subscribe. It definitely helps us get shown to more people. I think being Canadian, YouTube kind of screws with our algorithm a little bit. 
we get a lot of comments saying, how did I not know you guys existed? You guys are awesome. So we like to stay humble. Thank you for the comments. Uh, and we want to keep bringing you more amazing guests, just like Mindy. And Mindy, we'd love to have you back again sometime. Time Absolutely. flies. You're very well spoken. Uh, we're both more excited now than ever. And it's a UFO flap Sunday. So we're all yeah. we're all enjoying this in our digital living room. So thanks again for being on our show. We'd love to have you back. Thank you.